from the dark path of darkness to the light of life. We're going to sit down with Alex Broaches as he walks us through his new book, A Dark Path to Light. Don't go anywhere. Book Circle up next. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. All right, all right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Book Circle Online. That's right. We are here with you, bringing you the latest in books, authors, and discussion. Thank you for being with us. I'm your host, Katerina Kazayas. And, you know, I love being in here because of the caliber of people I get to meet. And one of the people that we have in studio with us today is Alec Broaches. Alex, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, before we get started, we just want to let you know that, of course, you can reach us on any social media platform. You can reach me at Katerina Kazayas. That's across all my social digital media Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I make it easy for you. All of it. Instagram. Please do go ahead and follow me. And Alex, what is your uh, social media handle? Uh, Alex Broaches. So there, at there Alex Broaches. See, see, we're logical people, Alex. We just make it easy. Always. <laughs> Always. I am very excited to have you on the program for a number of reasons. I have the opportunity here as a host to interview authors from a number of different genres. So business and finance and and health and and the whole thing. Um, My favorite is talking to people who have an inspirational message to share. Mm -hmm. I have to be honest, for anyone tuning in, while I was reading Alex's book, I absolutely felt him and the courage it took to write this book, the depth of feeling that you have had to find within yourself in order to pull yourself forward. And just as a human being to human being, I want to say thank you for writing this book. Sure. Um, for anyone who has found themselves in a dark place and has wondered, what do I do? How do I move through this? Is this it? You have managed to move yourself through that path. I'd love for you to take a minute, take us back to what the book is about, why you wrote it. We're going to delve into all of that. But let's start with why the book? Why now? What is it about? Sure. So um, I was at a very dark path at one point in my life. Um, Actually, it was just during a stretch of years where one thing after another just kept happening. And I was like, man, what is going on? Mm. Um, Issues with my health, issues with my father, um, there was a school shooting in the town next to us that I actually lived in that area pretty much for a long time, but I went to that college as well. Um, sudden death of uh, one of my best friends. And then a st- later on in life, I had an internet startup fail, lost everything, money, just you name it. So um, I was literally at rock bottom for a very long time. And at one point it got so bad where I was just thinking, you know, the darkest of thoughts. It was just thinking, you know what, maybe I should just call this calls to the end and just be done with everything. And uh, something happened to me when I went for a walk in the woods one night, um, as I talk about in the book, and um, what happened in the woods that night changed my life. Right. And and it's it's all about life and being alive and keeping forward. I'm going to uh, outline a little bit of your story because the culmination of what you're talking about is what happened to you in the woods. Sure. And I want to make sure that we 
tell the people at home to hang tight for what happened because that is the catalyst that led you to actually be in the studio with us right now yeah. and I think is going to be um, very, very important in helping to reach other people that may be feeling that sense of despair. Yeah. So to outline for you at home, Alex's was... Uh, anything but an uh, but an easy childhood. At the age of nine, your father was incarcerated, thrown in jail for kidnapping. Yeah, that must have been really, really difficult. You, your two brothers, and your mom ended up pretty much homeless because of that. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, at the time, um, there was also you know red flags just before uh, my dad's arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, he was never home that much. Um, we were hearing things among uh, the Greek community at church and just through uh, friends of the family. And we didn't know what was true or if it was true, mm-hmm. but we were, you know, we were thinking that it probably is true um, with just his behavior at the time. So he uh, was arrested, and the way we found out was we just happened to be watching TV, and boom, we see our old man on there, and he's in handcuffs, and we're like, is this real or is this a bad dream? Wow. And... Um, yeah, it's one of those moments where it was like an out-of-body experience, mm-hmm. especially when you're like nine years old. It just, uh, yeah, it was very, very difficult. Difficult, yes. And part of it was because you were, you're were you the middle brother of three, right? Correct. So you had an older brother, you had your mom, but you also were responsible in a sense for taking care and protecting your younger brother from a lot of this. Yeah. Um, how much responsibility do you feel at the age of nine to suddenly step into that role of male yeah. Because your father disappeared, your mother was left in this place of how do I pay my bills? How do I support my family? You know, her, they're, 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 you're being kicked out of your home. Um, you were, this was in Illinois, Illinois at the time, right? Rural Illinois, okay. yeah. At the time, we were living in a town called um, Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I remember, we at the time didn't have a stoplight in the town. So we were literally out in the middle of nowhere, just a super small town. And obviously, word spreads very quick. You know, especially for a crime that's serious. And, um, yeah, at that age, there's a lot of things going through your mind when you're nine years old. Mm. Um, but when you add to the fact that your dad almost did something, well, we, we didn't know if it was true or not. We just saw this on the news. Um, it kind of shakes up your whole mm-hmm. mindset on everything. Like, mm-hmm. your life just changes in front of you. And I felt compelled right away that, okay, you know what? I might have to be the father figure here. Yeah. And, and here was a, here was an interesting place because here the rug got pulled right out from under you folks. Yeah. Your dad ended up getting 10 years in jail. Yeah, at first they said 30. Wow. At first they said 30, and um, the lawyer was able to do something, and they lowered it to 10. Mm-hmm. So Now here you are as a young boy. Your world is, is blown apart, and you have to go visit your dad in jail. Yeah. So you're... 10, you're 12, you're 14 years old. How did that feel? Um, whenever I went there, it was mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, so? the one thing I would say that was a little bit difficult was um, the smell of being in a prison. It would give me goosebumps. And I was nervous because you would see all these different characters in there, guys with tattoos and just scars across their face, you know, just different people and you're just thinking like what what is my dad doing here you know like that's what i would think like did my dad like what is he doing here did he really do this so every time i would talk with him you know he would ask questions like you know how's school going or what's going on 
the whole time it was in the back of my head. I'm like, did, did my dad hurt this guy? And that's that's what it was for 10 years when right. I would visit him. Mm-hmm. You had an instrumental male figure in your life during that time, and that was your Uncle Marcos. Yeah. Your brother, your dad had six brothers and sisters. Yeah. Uh, so it was a bigger family. Um, but your Uncle Marcos came to the table, helped for a time your mom with the mortgage on the house. Yeah. Um, you had been thrown out of the house a few times. You'd had to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, you and your brothers and your mother moved in with your grandparents. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you were changing schools and changing environments, um, and you're in those in- those years of childhood going into teenagehood. Yeah. Uh, you had gained a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. It was big guy. Wow. Real big. Yeah. Yeah. Now, was that emotional eating? Was that sort of... Because they say that when you gain weight, it's almost as though there's a piece of you that feels you need to put on physical weight to help keep the hurt and the pain away. Did you feel any of that? Um, it could have been a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. I think it was more just um, I felt comfortable staying at home, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to avoid the outside world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess at the time, my my way of dealing with stress was eating. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, got, I was getting pretty big there for a while. Right. And that affects your energy level. That affects your... your oh, everything. Yeah. Self-confidence, right. everything. Right. Now, your mother, to make ends meet at the time, was working as a house cleaner, a mm-hmm. uh, housekeeper. And... What I found really interesting in the book, you talked about at the age of 15, you were losing interest in school, which is understandable because you had so much other things, so many other things going on in your head. How yeah. do you concentrate on learning, you know, Pythagoras theorem when you are wondering where your next meal is going to come from? Yeah. So, but what you did is you had a bit of a light bulb that went off for you with respect to entrepreneurship yeah. and marketing, and you started to help your mom market herself by, you know, in the early days, by making flyers, helping her with some ideas as to how she could generate additional business. Yeah. How important was focusing on school versus focusing on generating income at the time for you? How much do you think that has influenced where you're at now, 15 years later? Um, so, I don't know. To some people, this might seem a little odd, but this is just my personal belief. I think what I was being taught in school um, at a young age, um, a lot of it to me, seemed like it wasn't important because I felt like I'm, I was never going to use this in the future. School wasn't important. At right. the time. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Not every particular subject, but most of the content we were being taught, I was thinking this stuff's not going to benefit me. And I got to think about how we're going to pay the bills, mm. how we're going to keep the lights on, how we're going to get food coming in, how we're going to pay the rent. So to me, that's what my mindset was, whereas mm-hmm. everyone else in class was, let's go to the football game Friday, let's go get drunk, do this, let's go part. Yeah. Me, I was in like survival mode. I have. Um, I'm looking at my paper here. If, if I'm not sure what can- camera angle we're at, I'm not ignoring you. But I wrote a yeah. quote down, and I'm just looking at it here on my uh, on my little cheat sheet. But you made mention of something. Uh, I just want to. I just want to read it word for word because again, it was poignant. Sure. In your note, it was. Uh, let's see. It was something along the lines of. Jeez, I've got so many notes here. Sure. Um, let me just bear with me here for a minute. Oh, here it is. Uh, I wanted to learn about ways to make money, not the history of barbed wire. Right? Yeah. So at the age of 15, you started to self-educate by yeah. going to the library and picking up books from successful entrepreneurs. Yeah. In your opinion, the school system, the way it's set up right now, what is it lacking in terms of support for kids? Uh, again, this is just totally my opinion. And I think everyone should, you know, implore and look into the idea. But I think that... 
Um, I think almost that they're intentionally doing a bad job on purpose. Mm. And that's just a whole other topic um, because I've just seen what they're doing right now. And I don't know if it's with uh, all these kids on technology right now and all their cell phone use and what's going on in class. But um, you just see this going across the U.S. where grades are just going lower and lower and lower. Mm. Um, You know, compared to other countries, America is just plummeting in some subjects. And I think with how great America is and was and what we have as far as our resources, I think we could be doing a much better job. And I think it should be a little bit more targeted Mm. for the individual student as far as what we can focus on. Sure. We were having this conversation just to play on this um, on this topic for just a minute with some friends the other night at dinner. Yeah. And what we came to recognize is, you know, this school systems in general, and I'm not talking all of them, there's, there's a number of different ways you can learn. But for the most part, if you go th- to most public schools in the country, they really still in this day and age focus on reading, writing and arithmetic. Yeah. And that's all they focus on. So if you happen to be somebody that's excellent at spatial things, yeah. you know, or maybe you're very creative with respect to colors, there's there's no nothing that gives you any encouragement or any guidance as to how to optimize that natural skill set. Exactly. Right? And you're told, hey, you you you're not good at English. Yeah. You're gonna get a C or a D or an even an F. Yeah. How much does that affect? Because at one point you were getting terrible grades at school. Because Ter- you terrible. were focused on surviving. Yeah. That didn't that wasn't a reflection of your intellectual capacity, and yet I'm sure it affected your mindset about self. Yeah. And um, you know, later on now I'm, I just turned thirty a couple of weeks ago. Oh, happy birthday. Uh, thank you. That's <laughs> a big one. That's a milestone. Thank you. Um and I thought about that too now just recently. I look at, you know, great athletes or entrepreneurs and you look at their stories and there's one co- uh, common theme which is they mastered a craft, right? Michael Jordan, you know, wasn't wasting his time learning about the Tang Dynasty, right? He was out there hitting free throws, right? Right, and that's what his specialty was. That's what his niche was. Tiger Woods, same thing. Uh, Bill Gates, he focused on computers, right? And I think that's where people will succeed in the mm. future, whether it's kids in school or just people in general. Um, in terms of career, right? I think that's what we should focus on instead mm. of doing a lot of things, I think we should specialize in something that we're interested in and then uh, going forward from there. So from there, you're 15 years old, you get this sort of entrepreneurial bug and you're trying to figure out a way to help your mom optimize her business so that you can pay your rent. Yeah. And you decide that, hey, maybe it's time for me to step into a business. You start a lawnmower business. Mm -hmm. Lawn mowing business. Lawn mowing, thank you, when you're in middle school. Mm -hmm. And it takes off. Yeah. How did that feel? To talk to me about the investment that you made, because I think you talked in the book about taking $1,000, borrowing $1,000, and buying some equipment. So what happened with that little business? So, um, yeah, I was just literally, that was like my first real education to me about mm-hmm. negotiation and sales, getting customers. And for the first time in a long time, I felt like I was being born again. Mm-hmm. Like I felt alive. Like I could feel the creative juices flowing. My blood was flowing. I felt like this is it. Like, I love this. And uh, from there, I just go door to door, uh, do the flyers thing. And um, I would just throw my mower in the back of my mom's uh, cutlass. It was like a gold cutlass from what I remember. And uh, I mean, it wasn't the prettiest way to get around town, right. but the customers didn't care. They they were happy with it. The grass looked good. And 
I made money. And you were making money before you even could afford or buy a car because you weren't even yet 16 to have a license. Yeah. So this is where the entrepreneurial juices started to flow for you. Yeah. So you had a successful little business. You made some money that summer. You're feeling good. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to school. You go back into that negative zone of, I don't want to be here. Yeah. I'm in survival mode. Life is no fun. Mm-hmm. You graduate and you have a family, a support system, your mother, your grandparents who say to you, which is typical for anyone that it comes from an ethnic background. I think they'll appreciate this for some reason. Yeah. Ethnic parents like to push you to go to school maybe yes. because they didn't. Yep. So here you are and you're getting this push from your family to go to uh, post-secondary education. Yeah. How was that experience versus high school? Or was there a difference? Yeah. So um, college uh, was a little bit better. To me, it felt a little bit less like like a jail for me, like high school was, where it was the same thing over right. and over. Uh, college, I got to meet new people. Um, you can kind of pick your classes a little bit easier. So it was getting better. Okay. Um, but I still felt this in my gut feeling that this was not for me. School. I, Yes. I just felt it in my gut. I'm like, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm like, I just felt like in my DNA, I'm just an entrepreneur. And, um, but I, I went through college and, you know, um, yeah. I mean, if I were to do it over again with what I know now, college was not for me. Mm-hmm. But it's not to say it's for everyone else. I think people should really, um, in my opinion, this is what I would recommend because I, I get a lot of younger people that message me that read the book or just right. saw our websites, you know, our, our business stuff on TV or whatever. I would say take a little time before you rush into anything. Mm. I mean, don't I know it sounds cliche, but don't listen to your parents. Just take some time off because when you're 18 or 19, what do you know? You're still a kid kind of, you know, the way I look at it, I think you're going to force someone to go in and spend 50, 60,000 bucks and they don't even know if that's going to get them a job and that they like. four years, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. so maybe just, you know, get a job in the meantime or go travel for a year mm-hmm. or something and just kind of explore. And then, you know, at that point, I think you should have a little bit more of a better understanding of what you want for your future. Sure. So here you are, you're building a future, you've got your little enterprise, things are going well, your mother's doing a little bit better and you decide you're going to focus on a new business. And that business doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, collegejunkie.com. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. Tell us that story. Oh, man. <laughs> this was a fun story. Um, so, so, this is the, what, so this is back kind of in the you know early part of the tech years, right? About 10 years ago. Well, maybe, I guess it was maybe more than that. Maybe 2000. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so it was kind of early. Kind of early. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I, um, I thought of this idea just totally out of the blue. I was, like, just zoning out, and I was, like... Zoning out while you're sitting in school? <laughs> yeah, just kind of, you know, it happened a couple of times. I thought about it in class, and then I was in my garage. We had a couch in there where some of our neighbors or friends would come out and hang out and talk. And I was, like, you know, it'd be cool if there was, like, a site where you could just, like, communicate with other kids from the same class or within the same class. Mm-hmm. And that way you wouldn't have to go to class to take notes. Or if you want to message kids from the class across at that time... You know, maybe just see what kind of homework they're going to do or what what's coming up in class. So, I mean, it had good intentions, but a lot of kids used it, um, I guess you could say, to cheat. Okay. Um, so that's what it kind of turned into. Some other kids used it just to message girls from other classes that they thought were attractive. Right. So it just kind of went on its own, and it just had no sense of direction. So it was just kind of a mix of, like, a dating site and Facebook right. and, like, spark notes like all in one site gotcha okay and because of that lack of focus it, it didn't really go anywhere yeah. you ended up losing a lot of money with your web developer oh god yeah and then at the end of it somebody ended up 
taking over the URL because you hadn't registered it correctly. Yes. So here you are. That was like just in, a straight dagger into me. Right. Yeah. The time and the effort and the expense, you basically took all of the money you had in savings, borrowed money from your brother, borrowed money from your mom. Yeah. And this business blows up and falls apart. Completely. And uh, that to me was kind of, actually, I wouldn't say kind of, that was very difficult for me to handle because of all the other things that, has go- that were going on in my life at the time. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like one, I wouldn't say final blow, but it was just a really big blow that just kind of knocked the soul out of me for a while. Well, and during that time, you had the, the soul knocked out of you because you lost your best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died in a car crash. Yeah. So here you are, you get a phone call, and your friend is gone. Yeah. Um, it, again, it just happened like out of the blue one day. And um, at first, I thought it was like a joke because, you know, you never expect to hear news like that. Right. Just well, like that. Like, hey. In your 20s. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, it, you know, when I, I got the message, it took me about like five or six minutes for me to like register what I heard. Mm. And then it kind of hit me. Um, it was real. So then I went uh, to... Uh, his parents' house or the, his house. I'm like to see if this is a joke or for real. And then just saw him like crying and they couldn't even get off the couch and they couldn't even talk. And I was like, okay, that's, wow. I think this happened for real. Right. And so that happened in that same sort of time frame. So now all of a sudden you've gone from kind of building up your life yeah. from this childhood trauma that you incurred mm-hmm. and things start to slowly implode. Another thing that happened during this time was your brother, Jimmy was away at Northern Illinois university Yeah, when there was a school shooting. Yeah. And for a time, you're watching this on TV and you didn't know where he was. Yeah. I mean, you know, how much are you supposed to deal with? Thankfully, he was okay. Yeah. But the trauma of watching this on TV and not being able to get a hold of him, I'm sure, was just a weight. Yeah. It just, uh, it just the best way to describe that feeling for me was that I felt like I couldn't breathe <sighs> for an extended amount of time, not like 10 seconds or 30 <laughs> seconds. I just felt like I couldn't breathe. Right. And, um, you know, thankfully, he responded and... Yeah, another that was definitely another big blow too because it was just that lasted for a while too. It was like, holy cow, how could this happen to our town? Right, you yeah. know, and uh, yeah. so you're feeling the the weight of all of that. So you start to move to a place where things just are not working anymore. Yeah, and at one point, depression, anxiety, insomnia. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, the weight was, you were gaining the weight. You were just in a in a very, very dark place. Um, I want you to take us to that day in the woods. Yeah, so, um, and to also add, um, sure. at this time, my father got out of prison as mm. well after his 10-year sentence, and we gave, we gave him another shot to see if he could make this work out. Did your father come back home? Yeah, we, we took okay. him back in. Okay, and your then, mother included everyone, you know, sort of, I mean, yeah. you welcomed him in. Okay, and how did that go? Uh, again, it just, I guess, going with the flow, train wreck, um, didn't end too well, and we threw him out, you know, just, mm-hmm. he didn't even last long there. So that also was tough because it was like we just kind of blew away 10 years trying to help him out, and then he does this to us after us wow. going to visit him every week, every two weeks for 10 years. Wow. You know, um, so yeah, the and then at, at this point, I just was kind of like losing it. Mm-hmm. I was like literally losing it. I just, I couldn't even tell anymore what was reality, what was, you know, I was just hallucinating because I was just not sleeping enough. Um, I was so stressed out. I couldn't believe my friend was gone. The shooting, I lost all my money. My dad, after 10 years, just ruined it, you know, and um, 
I just went for a walk in the woods and I um, was going to do something and I I wasn't fully thinking, obviously, you know, I was thinking like, do I hang myself? Do I, what right, do right, I do? Right, do right, I, yeah. How am I going to do this? And, um, and by do this, you mean you were literally contemplating, suicide. do I stick around or not? Right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, oh. and again, when you're, when you're that messed up and stressed out, it's just a blur. So you can't tell like if this is really happening, the amount of like how deep the depression was and the and all the pain that was uh building up. I couldn't tell what was real or not anymore. Mm-hmm. So um Yeah, I, I uh kind of was like sitting there thinking about it like is okay, if this happens, like this is it. You know, it's there's no like coming back to try it again. So um now, I just want to paint the, the the picture. So it's nighttime. Yeah. You go for a walk. Things are black. And you're really thinking, I may check out. Yeah. What changed your mind? So I was looking up at the stars and just kind of looking around. And out in rural Illinois, you can really see the stars. I mean, I live about an hour and a half west of Chicago. So, you know, it's flat. It's just nature and it is beautiful, you know, the stars, it's just, it's beautiful. So I paid attention to one particular star and something about this star and then the other stars around it too. I don't know how to explain it. It was like life-changing. Mm-hmm. Something so simple and it just something, just, I don't know, it just went off in my head in a good way. Like, well, I, I don't mean, know how to explain it. It's hard to explain. Yeah, and the, the explanation I got out of the book in reading it, in, in reading this part of your journey that you, you had outlined was yeah. I, I had a, a, an image of you looking up at the sky that was black. Mm-hmm. And because it's dark, the forest is black. There's just darkness all around you. Everywhere. And yet in that moment, you chose to focus on that star. Yeah. On the light. Mm-hmm. So it felt to me like something clicked for you that said, I have a choice. And my choice is I can focus on all this darkness, Mm -hmm. not to diminish what had happened because there was plenty of darkness in your life, or you can focus on the light. Yeah. And so you chose to do that. Mm -hmm. You went back home. Uh, But but I actually do want to go into the details of what happened while you were there as well. You basically had a breakdown. Yeah. And in the book, as you describe it, you're you're punching the tree, you're freaking out, you're just you're letting all of that emotion out. Mm. Um, and I, the reason I want to highlight that is because society always we're told that negative emotion is bad, mm-hmm. and that we shouldn't allow for things to come out like that. Yeah. But my experience in talking with people through the interviews I've done and some of the things that you know, that I've been through just in terms of being alive. Yeah. It's when you get to that moment where everything literally crumbles. Everything. That you surrender into the reality of what is happening in here, which is spirit. Yeah. And then you feel that connection to whether it's infinite intelligence or God or source or whatever people want to call it. Mm-hmm. And that helps pull you back out. Did you get that sense in that moment? At that moment, I would say the best way to describe it is just confusion and chaos Mm. just going back and forth with each other and i didn't know how to let it out and i guess it was just a natural instinct just to start yelling and hitting and screaming and then just i ended up like on the ground and just caught my breath and then just uh after i did that you know i just found myself in a very peaceful place just laying there and Mm. uh, i was just focusing on the light just looking and this things just kind of everything just seemed to slow down like it seemed like time stopped Mm. 
Yeah, it was just like a surreal experience, like an out-of-body experience almost. Yeah. So then you pick yourself up and you go home. And you wake up the next morning and you decide, I have a choice. Mm-hmm. I went through this experience. I have chosen to move forward with my life. Yeah. Now what? Yeah. Now what? How do you move to the next step? So in this case, um, and a lot of people have been through this before, it's just different types of hardships, right? I was literally at rock bottom. I had nothing financially, spiritually, like physically. I was at like the bottom of the bottom. So I told myself, okay, you can only go up from here. I don't, you can't get any more down. Like I was almost close to it the night before, like very close. And I'm like, you can only go up now. And the thing that came into my mind the most was that, okay, last night was like a, to me, it felt like I almost avoided a car crash. You know that feeling when you almost get hit? Right. And you're just like, yeah. That's what I felt like. Like, holy cow, I just survived that. It could have been really bad. So that was the feeling I had. And I was like, okay, I got to do this right now and just move forward and take baby steps. Mm. Um, Start focusing on my thoughts. And again, the emphasis was the thought control and the baby steps just to move forward. Mm -hmm. And that included just the health part, the physical health, the spiritual health. And yeah. Yeah. In that moment, you decided, okay, I'm going to start small, mm-hmm. uh, which is smart because they say it's good to build some momentum. Yeah. One of the things you started to adjust for self was your diet mm-hmm. and to go from, what was your heaviest, 280? It was at 280-ish, 283-ish. 283-ish is a lot, of, a lot of pounds. Yeah. 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 So you made the conscious decision to help self and get a little more healthy, mm-hmm. start moving forward with diet, with jogging with the things you did yeah how about from a career perspective where did you go how did you even start the next step yeah so um at this point um you know along through the book i started doing a lot more research on business again and i was thinking like do i want to take another risk right because you got burned right so oh yeah very burned. (laughs) your willingness to move forward once you've been burned is a lot less than before you got burned yeah and if anyone's ever had a business failure before it's gut-wrenching Right. It's embarrassing too. Mm. Uh, financially, it just gets you pretty good. Um, but through this time in these years, I had a lot of um, little jobs in between to help supplement what I wanted to do for the future. Right. So, whether it was pizza delivery, um, started cleaning houses with my mom a little bit, um, factory job making like screwdriver handles for like, I forgot it was $7.50 an hour, eight bucks an hour. Um, and then, you know, it was embarrassing too. Um, you know, when I was in the factory, they were like, hey, you're the internet startup guy. That we saw on MTV and right. saw you all, like, what happened? And yeah. so I had to explain that over and over again, like, oh, everything failed. Right. Because so, part, part of that, just because we skimmed over it earlier. So with your um, collegejunkie.com, MTV had come in and they were following you for part one of their programs. Yeah. Uh, and they were looking at startups and you were part of that. You were one of those, you know, episodes that they were following yeah and the way they had cut and reality tv does this Uh, it just didn't turn out the way you wanted it to not at all so here you are with the notoriety (laughs) of having had a failed business that everyone knows about right yeah and everyone (laughs) thinks like oh they see you on tv this guy's probably got a lamborghini he's got all this why are you working for seven bucks an hour in the factory yeah and you know i was up front with them i just Mm -hmm. said guys everything tanked and that was it, you and know. So yeah. you just you have to move forward. That's mm-hmm. all you can do. So what you did, one of the things that you did do is you reached out to successful entrepreneurs that you wanted to follow, that you found on the internet, that you found online. Mm-hmm. One of them who went on to be your friend, Kurt. 
Yeah, Kurt Braggett. Uh, lives here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I, you and he, I'm sorry, you and I, you and I too, but you and he developed a relationship. Yeah. And he invited you out for a summer to come and work with him in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, so Kurt is a turn he's a good buddy of mine right now and mentor uh, at the time. Yeah, I just asked some questions um about business and I saw some of the comments on the business blog and I was like this guy sounds pretty smart. So I just, you know, started searching his name on the internet and I just added him uh it was a Facebook I think at the time and I messaged him and we were just talking and he's like let's talk more and he's like you want to come out here and I'm like uh sure. You know, right. and uh, take a chance. You have a chapter. Chapter twenty-seven in your book is called "From Cornfields to the Hollywood Hills." Yeah, yeah. So you get on a plane, you come to Hollywood, land at LAX, you get picked up, and here you are all of a sudden, right? Palm tree lined streets and yeah. Maseratis on the roads. What'd you feel about landing in LA for the first time? A total culture shock. <laughs> total culture shock. I mean, at the time, I didn't really travel that much, right. like outside of Illinois, and I went from literally just cows everywhere and just open cornfields and just quiet. And then it was like, boom, just buildings and cars and everything. So it was a totally different world. So you came here, you worked with him, you kind of got your feet back under you. Yeah. So you worked with him on one of his businesses, tech stuff. You were doing some marketing for him. Yeah. Uh, but you decided at the end of that period that, you know what, this was great, but I think I want to work for myself. Yeah. So you leave the glitz and the glam of Los Angeles and you go back to Illinois. Mm-hmm. But you had no plan. No. No. <laughs> so then what happened? So leaving uh, L.A. was an interesting experience because when I got to watch Kurt work, mm-hmm. um, I was very impressed with him, not just by his intelligence, but also by his work ethic. Mm-hmm. And I just really paid attention to the way he dealt with his customers on the phone because um, he had clients from China all over the world building these apps, large, you know, big websites, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took that and I was like, you know, I'm impressed with him, and I'm learning a lot from him, especially in terms of sales and marketing and all that stuff. So I was like, okay, I enjoyed the learning process with him, but as far as like the tech thing, I don't know if this is for me anymore. I just, I know business is there for me, like that's my passion, mm-hmm. but it wasn't necessarily the tech part. Um, so I went back to Illinois, and I was like, okay, maybe let's figure out another business. Sure, and your other business you stumbled into by accident. Yes. I want to frame this for the people listening at home. The accidental business that you fell into netted you $45,000 in two months. Yeah. So you stumbled across something that started to click. What happened? Yeah. So, um, you know, my mom has a house cleaning business. She's Mm -hmm. still doing it now. And she had asked, like, hey, do you know anyone that can get rid of this stuff for us, for my customer? And I was like, I can do it, you know. I didn't, so your well, mom, your mom was was had a customer whose home she cleaned, and that customer had some junk that they wanted to get rid of. Yes. Okay. And your mom said, "Hey, do you know anyone?" And you had nothing going on, so you said, "I'll take care of it for them." Yeah. All right. So I did that job, and then um, she referred me to another customer, and I was like, "This is kind of a unique way to make money." Like I didn't think of it seriously; I just thought of it just for money, just to get by, sure, some cash flow for self. Yeah. yeah. And then um, as time passed, I was starting to you know, put these ideas that I used with Kurt as far as search engine optimization for website rankings. I built a website. And then that's when things just really went to a whole nother level. And I was like, this is crazy. This can't be real. And it just went from, you know, just a couple hundred bucks here and there to, um, you know, like a four month span is over 82,000. <laughs> Of people wanting you to help them move their junk. Chapter yeah. 28, I love the title, One Man's Junk is Another Man's Treasure. Yeah. How true. 
So now yeah. you have a successful business yeah. that um, moves other people's things. Yep. Like junk, trash. You give a fair amount of it away to charity. Correct. Which I also enjoyed. Yeah. And you have gotten yourself not only on your feet, but you are, for somebody that just turned 30, really knocking it out of the park. How do you feel now versus how you felt 10 years ago? So everything that happened 10 years ago made me, I feel a better person, not just in terms of business, but it's just a learning experience, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel that right now, I'm still learning. I haven't like won. Right. And no one really wins. It's not like you you cross the finish line. There is no finish line. It's just you keep learning and you keep bettering yourself. So to me, this is just the next chapter of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to keep learning and just keep learning and just Go with the flow. Right, yeah. And the flow is important because I think the mistake a lot of us make is we feel as though there are these proverbial check marks Mm -hmm. on a proverbial board that we somehow have to hit. Yeah. Right? By a certain age, you need to be married. By a certain age, you need to own a home. By a certain age, you need to be divorced. Whatever it is. Yeah. And part of what I like to do with these programs is just remind people that each of us has an individual path. Yeah. And your path has been so unique. Part of the reason you chose to write a book about your story is because you want to help people that may be suffering from depression. Yeah. And help remind them that there is light at the end of a dark path. Mm-hmm. And I commend you for that because it's such an important message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And like I said, I was telling you earlier too, um, you know, anyone that is going through a, a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a. It doesn't have to be a permanent situation. Right. There's a. There is a light there for you, and whatever that light may be is different for everyone. But there is a light there. Yeah, and part of the reason, and part of the way you you continued to pursue and find the light mm-hmm. is you made a conscious effort to change your thoughts, your mental programming. How important is positive thinking? It's very important. Um, and again, that applies not to just business, but everything, friendships, you know, relationships, uh, anything like that. Um, it all starts up here first mm. before anything else. Right. And that's something I still work on today. Um, at the time when you're just always depressed and everything seems to be going wrong, you just feel comfortable being negative. You're just in that that rut mm. and you, that's all you know. So you're just like, no, this is not going to work or no, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to take this risk. Mm. So by Thinking first, you know, thinking about anything before you make an action on it, that's key. And just, you know, instead of looking at a yes or no, just think of it and just look at things from different angles. Right. From a different perspective. Correct. And that's what they say is that there is no right or wrong or good or bad or up or down. Yeah. It's your perspective on that, that factual reality. Yeah. And that determines how you perceive what that situation is about. Yeah. Yeah. so, so I guess that would be a message to anyone that is at home that may not be feeling 100% yeah. is take a step back and assess what the situation is like and what you would prefer it to be like and then start to act from that place of where is it that I want to be versus where am I? Because yeah. if you dwell on the where am I reality, mm-hmm. you're discounting where you could be and yeah. that's where the power comes into play. Yeah, and the thing too is um, I can't emphasize enough just – you have to take baby steps. Mm. You know, if you want to make a change, um, just take baby steps and just make sure you're moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. Just make, just move forward. 
every day that passes by, eventually you're going to get to where you want to get to. Right. Yeah. Well, we want to get people to a dark path to light. You can pick it up on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You can also go to your website. You have a website, darkpathtolight.com. Yep. A darkpathtolight.com. Right. A darkpathtolight.com. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, any parting words for anyone at home watching this today? So here's what I would say. Um, every day that passes by, um, you're not going to get that day back. Mm. And it might sound, um, you know, a little dark, but it should also give you some light because every day is like a new beginning. So whatever you want to do, go for it. Perfect. What do you got to lose? What do you got to lose? That's absolutely right. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the program today. We appreciate your, uh, I'm so excited for you because you're, you've got so much time ahead of you. And I know that you're going to do some good things. I can feel it. Uh, I, like I mentioned at the top of the hour, I think I mentioned it. I was crying with this book. It was so full of emotion and honesty and originality and authenticity and all of the things that I think in this social media digital world of bombardment we are looking for. Uh, so if you're at home and you want to pick up something of value, please pick up A Dark Path to Light, Alex Broaches, here on Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Katerina Kazayas on Book Circle. And uh, just a friendly reminder that you can find us on our website, uh, bookcircleonline.com. We're also streaming on YouTube and on iTunes. You can find us on all of our social media platforms. Google our names. And uh, we will see you again next time. Thank you, Alex. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menounos, and Jeffrey Masters, thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at BookCircleOn. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in.